um, just please uh, remain standing. I want to I want to take a moment. I want to pray um, for many of you, as many of us are looking into 2024 with expectation, with hope, with excitement. And there's some of you that are looking into 2024 with fear, with unexpectation. You don't know what tomorrow will hold. And so as a church, we want to pray over you. Let us pray. God of all comfort, we come to you and we know that you don't leave us, you don't abandon us, that those that are your children can never be taken away and you will never leave and you will always love. Father, that you know what tomorrow holds and, and, and that is what we place our faith in, that you are faithful to your people. And so I pray for the comfort for Stone and his family as they battle, or as he battles RSV, Father, that you work through his body and through modern medicine for your glory and his good. Father, for the marriage that is on the brink of destruction, I pray that you mend it in a way that only you can mend it. Father, that where we don't understand or we don't know what 2024 holds, that we know that you wait for us this time next year and that nothing catches you by surprise. That is what we cast ourselves upon. We love you, Father, because we know that you first loved us. We we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in 16, and we're going to go through 21. Now what I learned as I was studying uh, 2 Corinthians is that this is actually Paul's fourth letter, that the ones that made it into Scripture were the even number. So first, so the second letter that Paul wrote to Corinth is our first Corinthians, and then uh, the fourth letter is our second Corinthians. So we're going to read second Corinthians chapter 5, starting in 16, and we're going to go through 21. And this is the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, re- we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Therefore, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated and join me in prayer. God of new creation, we come to you and we thank you for your pursuit of sinners. Father, that we were beggars and now we're royalty, that we have been set free by your grace. And so it is my prayer that you captivate us. Father, for the heart that is looking for a home, may you call them to yourself so they can find everlasting peace. Father, for the saint that has wandered away, that that I pray that they be reconciled to God, knowing that you do not count our trespasses 
against us that our sins, both past, present, and future, have been forgiven in Christ, and we are now the righteousness of God. We are now your children. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first impressions are critical, right? That you're going to formulate your opinion of somebody off how they present themselves. And likewise, you're going to, you're going to formulate an opinion of the person on how they present themselves to you. For instance, like if, you, if my advice to you, if you were going to preach your first sermon to your church as their, newly, their new elder, I wouldn't hold them hostage for 50 minutes. Unless you want to be labeled as a long-winded preacher and then have your wife tell you right after you're through, you went too long. Okay, hypothetical. Right. But there's, there's other serious factors that go into formulating opinion about somebody, like what team they pull for, okay? or what political party they align themselves with, or what, what their orientation is, what their job may be, whether they drank their coffee black as God intended it, or how they cook their steak. Well, maybe do they consider North Carolina real barbe- North Carolina barbecue real barbecue or an abomination? That we, we judge others based off of what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch, like tangible factors. That's, what, that's how we formulate our opinion. That's how we judge people. And see, this isn't a new way of judging people. This, is, this, this way that we judge what we judge people goes all the way back to the church in Corinth. See, Corinth was originally a Greek city that was, reca- it was, it was captured by Rome, and then it was resettled. So uh, upon this new resettlement of, of Rome citizens being in, immigrating into Corinth, right, it was a chance to reinvent themselves. It gave you a chance to, you know, if you were, if you were low class, if you were blue collar, you were a slave, you could purchase your freedom, you could come to Corinth, and now you could become a scrupulous merchant rising through the social class. You could become a philosopher. You had the chance to ascend the social ranks because in Corinth they really didn't exist at the time. It was that chance to be new, to to have a new identity. And so, this is the issue that that they faced. And so, what I want us to see is I want us to look at verse 16. Because what we see and what we touch... It makes sense to judge people by that. It's natural. So Paul tells us in verse 16 that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So this statement is shocking. It goes against how we normally do things. They would have likely asked, and I would have asked the question too, what do you mean I don't regard people according to the flesh, Paul? I, I got to be able to judge somebody. I got to be able to assess whether they're valuable to me. I got to know what skills they bring to the table because I need to know if they're worth my time. But Christ, but Paul tells us why we regard them no longer by saying, Look at how you regard Christ. That we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, that we judged Christ according to the family he came from, according to the town he came from, according to his father's vocation. See, Christ would have been written off and he would have faded into obscurity if he was merely a man. But Christ, but Jesus was not merely a man. See, he was truly God and truly man. 
He lived a perfect life in a perfect obedience and submission to God and the law. He overcame sin, the flesh, and death on our behalf. And he was resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so we no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. What Paul is telling us, since you do not regard Christ according to the flesh, regard no one else according to flesh. What Paul is doing is he's raising our view of people. He's taking our view of how we look at people. He's taking and saying, hey, I want you to regard others as Christ regards them. Namely, in whose image they were created in. They were created, who were you created in? Who, are, who is man's image? Who, who is man, in whose image is man created in? Christ, God. Let us make man in our own image. And that's how we are to regard people. And so, verse 16, it is primarily focused at how we see other people. But it also has bearing on how we see ourselves. Not only does it shape how we see every human, but it also shapes how you see yourself. So what I didn't realize, getting out of the Marine Corps, is how much, the, how much of, my Marine, of my identity was wrapped up in being a Marine. See, for five years, I convinced myself that being a Marine was a job. I did everything I could to subdue it, so if I come home on leave, I wouldn't stand out as a Marine. I had convinced myself that it was just a job wasn't who I was. And it wasn't until I got out that I realized how much of my identity was wrapped up in being a Marine. See, I had expected a seamless transition because I did everything I thought I could do mentally to prepare myself for getting out. And then I got out. And I wasn't being told every Friday that I was part of the best fighting machine this world has ever seen. That when America needs rescue, she calls on the Marine Corps. She doesn't call on the Army. She doesn't call on the Navy. She doesn't call on the Air Force. She calls on the Marine Corps. <laughs> we'll let history speak. But, but it was. It, and then I get out, and I'm not told that every Friday. I'm not told that every Friday. I'm not told I'm important. I'm not told I'm part of this, this fighting machine that, that people look to. And I transitioned out without fanfare, transitioned out from being, from being seen to being unseen. I transitioned out into obscurity, and it hurt, it scared me. I didn't know what to do with myself. See, I didn't realize, again, I didn't, I didn't realize how much of my identity was wrapped up in what I did. And many of you probably feel the same way. You punch a clock on Monday, and you look to Friday, just... You know, no, hoping for Friday, and when Friday comes, you dread Monday because you know you got to do it all over again. You change diaper after diaper. You cook meal after meal with little fanfare. Everything you do appears to have little value, little impact. And you find yourself asking, is this all there is? Is this all I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And what... I needed to hear when I got out of the Marine Corps, and what you need to hear right now is that your identity is more than what you do. Our identity is more than what we do. See, Paul is shifting our view from the earthly to the heavenly. He's shifting our view from the physical to the spiritual. 
He is telling us, since we no longer judge Christ according to the flesh, we no longer judge others according to the flesh. See, we're not our job. We're not our job. We're not our social status. Our value is not determined on how much money we make. Our value is not determined on how many kids we have or don't have. Our value is not determined on whether or not we're married, divorced, or single. Your value isn't determined by whether or not you play on the football team, whether or not you're in the band or you're in the stands. See, our identity is more than what we do. And this statement shatters our worldview. And, but what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't roll the grenade into the room and leave. He doesn't tweet, hey, regard everyone according to the flesh, or excuse me, according to the spiritual value, and then turn off his comments and leave. No, he explains why in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, our, our identity is not in what we do, but in Christ. That's where our identity is. Our identity is in Christ. And he draws our attention to this by saying, therefore. Anytime you see therefore, you need to stop and see what it's there for. And I'm going to tell you that every time I see it. Why? Because you're prone to forget. I'm prone to forget. And we need to be reminded what God is telling us. You see, Paul is telling us who we are. In Christ, you are a new creation. You are not who you used to be. It's going to be the most true new year, new me statement you will ever make. To be in Christ is not merely to be a new creation. It's more than that. To be in Christ is to be united to Christ. You are united to Christ and he to you. To Paul, to be in Christ was absolutely everything. It was his identity. If you recall, Paul persecuted the church. Now, who is he when he's writing to the Corinthians? He's their best friend. He's the, he's the biggest champion of the church. He hated Jesus. Now he loves Jesus. He was an enemy. Now he's a friend. But what does Paul mean by to be in Christ? And I think we can look to Ephesians 5 to see what it means to be in Christ when Paul compares the relationship of Christ and his church with that of the husband and wife. See, have you ever thought about why you married your spouse? Or maybe you've asked somebody, why did you marry that person? See, if you were to ask me that question, why I love Alice, and I could give you a litany of reasons, but I couldn't nail it down to one that encapsulates everything. I could list all the things that I love about Allison, but I couldn't nail it down to one. See, if you were to ask me why I married Allison, I would tell you because she's Allison. And to you, that means nothing, but to me, that means absolutely everything. And Christ says the same thing about his church, which is you. Right? If you are in Christ, you are his bride, and he loves you. He's not going to forsake you. You cannot be separated from him, and he cannot be separated from you. And Paul tells us this. Right? If, we go, if we go to Romans 8, what question, the end of Romans 8, what question does Paul ask? What can separate us from the love of God? Well, what, what can separate us, church? Nothing. There's absolutely nothing that can separate you from Christ if you are in Christ. He's not going to divorce you. 
He's not going to walk out when it gets hard. He's not going to throw up his hands when you're stubborn and obstinate and leave. You are his treasured bride. You're his treasured bride. But see, the beautiful thing about marriage, right, is not only do you get, are you united to your spouse, but you also get to establish new traditions. Right, you come together, you lay the foundation upon which you two are going to erect a family. And I, re- I remember growing up, right, that all families have non-negotiables, okay, things that you, there's no, hey, we're going to do this, okay. And for the Nets household, that was going to church on Sunday. Like Sunday was reserved for church. didn't matter if the fish were biting, if the deer were in rut, you were going to be in the pew. Matter of fact, the world could be ending, and it better find you in the pew. See, my parents took Joshua 24, 15, right, for this, for this house we will praise the Lord. They took that literally, and I, you know, wanted to find out why. Like, why, why is this a non-negotiable? And I, the short answer was, because I brought you into this world, right, I can take you out. Like, that, that was a non-negotiable. And, and the same thing applies to our family, that Alice and I have non-negotiables for our three girls, or our three, our three kids. It, yeah. Sorry, Anderson. That we have the responsibility of determining their identity because we created them. And the same can be said about you and I. Why? Because God created us. We are his new creation. See, our identity is determined by God. Paul says in verse 18, all this is from God. Not only does he create us, he gets to tell us who we are. Not the world. The world doesn't get to define us. It's God who defines us. Your sin doesn't define you. It is God who defines you. But we know the reality is that when we come to salvation, we arrive with baggage. We have trauma. We have scars because it's part of the living in a fallen world. Some of these scars that you have, they are your fault. But there are other scars that are no fault of your own. And what I want you to know is that the only scars that define you are the ones on Jesus' hands and feet. Those are the scars that define you. This means that your divorce does not define you. Your adultery does not define you. Your anger does not define you. Your obscurity does not define you. That habitual sin, it doesn't define you. See, we have a tendency to focus on our failings over what God has done in us. And that is why we need the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. This is why Paul says in the end of verse 20, be reconciled to God. And notice that it's in the present tense. Right now, in this very moment, be reconciled to God. And why does he tell us be reconciled to God. Because we forget the gospel. All right, we just sing, Come thou font. And there's a line that we sing, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we sing this because it's true. Now, that I forget the gospel more times than I care to admit. But not only do I forget the gospel, I'm also stubborn. I'm, I, I am stubborn, I'm obstinate, I double down in my sin and rebellion. I say the last time was the last time that I was going to sin, and yet where do I find myself? You make promises that you're not going to return to the sin, and what do you do? 
What do I do? We double down. We double down in our sin and rebellion. I convince myself that I have fallen from grace, that I have exhausted his mercy, that there is no more for me. Can you relate to this? Can you relate to that despair that you feel? Brother, sister, I want you to hear with your ears. I want want you to hear with your mind. I want you to hear with my heart. This quote from Derek Thomas. When he says, when Christians sin, they don't fall from grace, they fall into it. When Christians sin, they don't fall from grace, they fall into it. And this is why Paul is telling us, be reconciled to God. But look back at verse 19 when Paul says, not counting their trespasses against them. The sins of your past, forgiven. The sins that you're going, you committed this morning on the way to church by yelling at your kids, forgiven. The sins you're going to commit going to the restaurant because the person in front of you is driving the speed limit, forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. Will you confess your sin and unbelief? Will you be reconciled to God? And he will receive you. You will be forgiven because you are created in his own image and he loves you. See, your identity is determined by God. Therefore, you're free to operate within his will. So that means that life becomes a buffet and you're free to choose what you want to be. Right, you can pursue your dream so long as it was in the will of God. And what this also means is that there will be times that your options are going to be limited. What I mean by that, you may go to McDonald's to get a McFlurry, and the McFlurry machine's down. And so you're forced to go to Sonic. Why? Why are you forced to go to Sonic? Because he has a child at Sonic that is waiting to hear his voice through you. That's why. See, I think of back to a story that I read in Chad Bird's book, Your God is Too Glorious, about a time that he was visiting a terminally ill, um, terminally ill member of his. And what, uh, as Chad was leaving, he, the, the member said to him, the Lord has visited me. The Lord has visited me. So did Jesus visit that terminally ill member? He did, looking like Chad Bird. See, our identity has a purpose. Right? There's no, you're, you're going to be an ambassador, and you are appointed the minute that you're saved. If there's no Senate confirmation hearing you have to go through, there is no... There, Satan can drag up your past, but it doesn't matter. He can bring up what you did last night, but it's a moot point, because you're in Christ. But your identity has a purpose. So we often talk about what we are saved from, and we should, right? We, we should talk about what we are saved from, the sins that we are saved out of. Um, but how often do we talk about what we are saved from? See, our identity has a purpose. We were saved for a reason. Three times Paul tells us what you are saved for. Verse 18, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, Dropping to the bottom. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. See, you're an ambassador with a gift. And each one of you received this gift when you were saved. 
It's a ministry of reconciliation. And what this means is that the mundane gains nobility. Right? You no longer have to fear obscurity because the Father sees everything you do. He sees every time card you punch, every dirty diaper that you change, every assignment you submit, every conversation you have. See, every act is a kingdom act. But the actions of an ambassador do not go unnoticed. Matter of fact, the actions of an ambassador carry the weight of the one who appointed them. It is as if the one who appointed the ambassador is doing the action itself. See, God hunts down the lost dressed as his ambassadors. He goes after the lost people in your life looking like you. See, my struggle with my identity was for a purpose. Your trauma, your scars, your baggage, it happened for a reason. See, we have specific life experiences that equip us to, to minister to specific people. So have you ever thought, and I, I have pondered this, that, that what happened to me, my struggle with my identity, your baggage, that God is making all of that new for your ministry of reconciliation? That he is using your struggles, your pain, to open doors that would have otherwise been closed for the sole purpose of his children hearing the gospel. And so it begs the question, what is our message? Right, go spread the gospel. Be ambassadors. Well, what, am I, what am I to tell them? What am I going to tell people? Well, verse 21 is, is our message. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, our message is God pursues the lost. For whom did Christ be made sin? Our sake. That he became he who knew no sin became sin for our sake. So look back at 18. I want you to look back at 18. And who is this from? It is from God. That God initiates the, rec the reconciliation. I want you to know this because God has already been, began the good work. And all you have to do is walk in it. That he has gone forth and done the work. You just have to walk in it. And see, if I'm honest with you, that my testimony shouldn't begin when I was 18. So I, I, when I tell you my testimony, I say somewhere around 18. I should not begin there. Where I should begin is that God began reconciling me to himself through a boy who, from Ohachi who rode his bike to the local Methodist church and from a girl from Andalusia, Alabama who had Christian parents. Them two met in a Winn-Dixie. They commit to themselves and to the Lord, and they go on to have two boys who they raise in fear and admonition of the Lord to the best of their ability, one of whom is standing before you today. That is where I should begin my testimony. That is, that it, God worked through my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents to bring me to himself. Matter of fact, we can trace our testimony back to Genesis when he tells Eve, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. And that is why we can go forth carrying Christ's banner into a dark world. When we can go forth boldly, we can go forth assuredly, we can go forth because God's word goes forth and accomplishes everything that it is going to accomplish. 
So we don't go under our own power, but we go upon God's. And I don't, I don't know if I don't know. If may, maybe many of you've been out on on a boat when the water gets rough. What do you do? You dread the ride back because you and the boat are about to get beat to death. Matter of fact, you probably go ahead and pop some ibuprofen so you can get ahead of the pain. And so when you're riding back, what do you look for? Well, you look for a boat out in front of you. Why? Because it's going to break the chop. And all you have to do is ride in the wake. That it went from rough water to somewhat smooth water. And spreading the gospel is the same. That Christ has already gone forth. He has predestined those to himself. He has called his children to himself. All you have to do is be faithful and walk in his wake. You have been prepared for such a work. And your experiences help contextualize the gospel. See, I don't, I don't understand the societal pressures of being a mom in an Instagram world, but many of you do. Many of you know what it's like to have every outfit you put on your kids judged. And you know, also know how the gospel frees you from that. And you can take the gospel to other moms and tell them how the gospel frees you. How the gospel gives you a new identity. Some of you are empty nesters. And you also have friends that are empty nesters that are struggling with their identity because it was wrapped up in their kids. And you know how the gospel gives you freedom. And you can take it to them. And you can say, hey, here is how the gospel defines you. That you're not your kids' successes or failures. So you have a message of hope. That many of you have had the carpet ripped out from under you. And you can testify to the so- that the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. And that is what we take out. So the gospel is a message of hope upon which we erect our identities. And your identity is found only in Christ. Not in your work. Not in your kids. Not in your driveway. Not in your bank account. Will you believe it? Will you believe in Christ? Will you believe that your identity is in Christ, not in your sin, not in the world? And will you tell others? Will you tell others to be reconciled to God? Because he does not count your trespasses against you. So, 2024, we go into 2024 with a new identity. It's not in what we do, but in who we are. We go into 2024 with a purpose. And that purpose is to tell people that God pursues sinners. There are going to be elders down front. We would love to pray for you. Pray over you. Um, and then I want you to respond however the Lord sees fit. So please join me in, in prayer. Father of, of new creations, we... We love you. Father, we were once beggars, now we're, we're royalty. And we, we are royalty because you give us a new identity. And we thank you for that. That I am beholden to what I can erect myself, and it's, it's a, I erect it upon a foundation of sand. But you build upon the rock, and that is what I need. Father, as we go into 2024 with, with hope, Father, anchor our hope in you. As we look back to 2023 and we see all our failures, Father, they are just displayed before us. Father, I pray for your mercy and your comfort over that, that our failures do not define us, 
Father, for the wayward saint, I pray that they hear your voice and they return to you for the home, for the heart that is searching for a home. Know that it is found in you. We ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.